When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey Geekscapists, welcome to a brand new Geekscape episode. I'm Jonathan London. If this is your first Geekscape episode, I like to talk pop cultures, movies, video games, comics, all that stuff that you can find like maybe at Comic Con this summer where we'll be at our booth like every year. So that's Geekscape. I like to think that we talk real talk first, geek talk second, because um, that's just kind of what Geekscape's turned into. It's been less talking about uh, what I thought of the last Avengers movie and more talking to filmmakers and storytellers, maybe they're comic book writers or they're artists or they're musicians, why do you tell stories, how do you tell stories, and we just talk storytelling, because I'm a little bit more obsessed with that than what I might think of the last (laughs) Avengers movie, which we're all going to see it, but uh, there's a million fucking places on the internet where you can hear that stuff, so I don't want to be the place for that. If you actually want substance... Um, maybe we'll give you some of that. We'll try. I'm going to try and give that to you guys over the next hour. Uh, I'm sitting here with a good friend of mine. Uh, he's been on the show before, Mr. Jason Trost. He's got a brand new movie that he's touring with. He's like four-walling this thing with the help of the Alamo Draft House, at least here in the States. And it's the sequel to one of my favorite movies. I'm just going to say of all time, because definitely when, the, when it came out, that was my favorite movie that year. Um, but the, it was a sequel to the FP. This is FP2, Beats of Rage. And it takes place maybe five, ten years after the original FP. Um, if you guys have not seen the FP, go watch it. If you're a longtime listener of Geekscape and you haven't seen the FP, this is like Jason's third or fourth time on the show, and you guys are real dicks for not watching that movie so far because we went crazy on it when it came out. Uh, I love every minute of that movie. Um, so dude, how are you? Hey, uh, I'm doing good. How about you? Uh, we're good. We're good. Uh, in the middle of production now, and then I've got. There's more production coming, Geekscape. So I'm just trying to get these these podcasts out for you guys because I love doing them, but I know that they they have not been the most regular scheduled podcasts. I mean, you can't do all this at once while doing a production. I don't think I want to. Yeah. I think what it comes down to is like, and I said it on the last show with Blake Harris. Um, who put out a pretty awesome book that if you guys haven't heard of it to like go and listen to the episode uh, it was all about what was it about VR and Oculus and Facebook and all those things um, but it's like I want the podcast to work for me not necessarily work for the podcast you know because to bring it back to what we're talking about with the pop culture at least I was talking about when you see all these different outlets and they're basically funneling you the same voice like these are my trailer reactions <laughs> it's like 
here's a series of hot takes that aren't so hot anymore because <laughs> everyone has the same take, making it now a lukewarm take. I just don't want to add to the noise. Yeah. And we're living in, in a place where noise equals clicks equals ad shares. And you can see why people are just funneling a ton of noise at you. And I worry about your mental health, Geekscapist. I wonder how much you're able to uh, do that for yourselves and say, hey, I don't need this stuff. And I'm just going to listen to Geekscape. <laughs> you, you can see it now in everything with like the clickbait stuff. Like even with FP2, we've been going around like when we get like reviews from legitimate like critics and things, even in their headline, like sure is a sequel to the first one. Or things like that. What like, does that even mean? You know, like one of the biggest criticisms we've received in this movie is that I guess you'll you'll like this movie if you like the first one. I'm like, isn't that the point? Isn't that a good thing? Isn't that yeah. like a field goal? No, that's basically what a sequel is supposed to do. Yeah, and instead of going hot take wise, like I guess sequels now are supposed to be more of the Ryan Johnson take. Like, if you hate Star Wars, you'll love this one. But I think that's what like the critics are looking for now. So like the biggest critique we've gotten is you'll like if you'll you'll like it because it's like the first one. That's really condescending. <laughs> yeah. That's a really condescending review where and it's like, I guess if you were base enough to like that yeah, right. first piece and of you, you get the, entertainment. You get the retrospective like too because all these critics loathed the first FP when it came out. And you can go back and look at their, except for Jonathan London. Well, you've heard me talk about it. Oh, yeah. It's sports radio. Losers talk yeah, about yeah. winners. But they're all like, you know, they talk shit about it. They'd be like, this is the worst movie ever, yada, yada, yada on their original. Now they'll come out in news reviews and be like, yeah, it's just not as good as like the standard setup in the first one. They like they hold the first open this pedestal now, and then they'll be like two two out of five. I love your dog. Oh, Margarita, Margarita, uh, Geekscape is Margarita might sound off with an opinion on the movie in the background. If you speak dog, I think you're good to go. This is my dog, uh, Stumpy Margarita, and she is midway through a Margarita right now. So who knows what's going to happen? I think she's out of her treat. If she wants Uh-oh. more, she wants more. I can't. I can't help you, and I don't. Oh, we got treats here. We you're got treats. We got treats flying in, Margie. Smoiling here. Oh, we're feeding the treats, Geekscape is chill. There we go. We're, we're talking trash over here. Yeah, so these people, then they'll oh, be like, you know, not as good as the first one, two out of five. And you go back and look at their review for the first one. It's like, it was like one, one out of five. <laughs> so it's really fun. It's a funny social experiment, Oh, actually. I'm a connoisseur now. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I've grown up. Oh, I, you know, I appreciated it later after the review came out. I'm good yeah. now. No, right. you don't get to do that. You know what? You were a dick then, and now you're just a coward. Yeah. Is that fair to say? I think so. Um... Sorry, Geekscapist, you might actually like reading reviews and stuff online, but I say go see it for yourself, especially something like this, because this is what Jason's done, and, and I've, uh, you and I have talked about the production of this several times, and it's gone through multiple iterations, and I don't know how much you want to talk about those multiple iterations, <laughs> but it's gone from as, like... As much as I can without divulging too much, well, I suppose. Well, yeah, I mean, it's just been like... I, well, it you, started you embrace yeah. the, the Kickstarting and the Indiegogo stuff so much, and I... It, it it scares the shit out of me because it feels like if you fail, it's just this giant advertisement for nobody giving a shit about your project. But I don't. But you go full bore into it. And well, you, you have to, and like, you get the video. I know. I get it now. I get it now that I've done it. But yeah, I you get can't it. just half-ass it. Like these people, are like I put something up in Indiegogo. Why am I? Why is it all the money? It's like no, it's a full-time job. And I that's tweeted it to my fifteen. No, people. if you're gonna do this, like you're spending six hours a day on this. Like what you also don't realize is your customer service. Mm-hmm. You're getting on a little headset, basically. You're typing on the thing, like which is fine. Like it's just a job, like anything else. But it is a job doing it. And you have to treat it like that because I think like one of the first ones I did it, I didn't really treat it like a job, and I was like, what? And this one's like, screw it. I'm going to do this. I was actually working for my dad at the time mm-hmm. doing effects on a show called Future Man, which, you know, I'm not going to get into. One. Yeah. But uh, I was like, God, I have so much time on my hands. What am I going to do? 
let's try this Indiegogo thing out while I'm getting paid to sit on my ass for 10, 12 hours a day. Yeah. Well, and it, I saw that it, it, it definitely helped having that kind of time. Well, regardless of what you think, Future Man got a second season, so hey. Uh, Future Man's getting a third season. I don't oh. know if I'm allowed to say that. People are digging <laughs> it. People are digging it. Uh, and it looks funny. So um, I just haven't watched it. Me either. I've worked on 24 episodes. I haven't seen one. <laughs> well, it's like, as a creator, it's like how much can, you know, there, you've got to keep a pretty, ba- like, in Geekscape, as you know that, for like 10 years, I was just like, consume, consume, consume. And I wasn't making really anything. And I was super unhappy. And I blew my life up. And you guys know, you guys were there for the journey or you weren't. But, um, <laughs> but now I'm like in a place where I'm like, yeah, I just don't want to consume that much. And I just want to make more stuff. So, no, I'm not doing it's that. It's just like eating. You get older and you're like, I've been overeating. I'm going to dial it back. I'm only going to eat the things I really like or that are really adventurous that I've never eaten before. And then I'm going to make sure to vomit a lot. Yeah, exactly. I'm in a phase where I just want to vomit a lot I like, <laughs> and yeah, make you, stuff. <laughs> especially like with Netflix and things. I'll, I vomit a lot of Netflix out. Yeah, These days. you can um, you can really go down the rabbit hole on Netflix, and you see it again on social media. Another place that you can spend a disproportionate amount of unhealthy time is when people are like, "Hey, what should I watch on Netflix? You should watch this thing called Outside. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, like go for a walk, yeah, right? <laughs> go for a walk because." The Umbrella Academy, you watched it and it's over, and now you can free up your time. It, I already saw X Men and Watchmen before that, so <laughs> I actually had already seen it before I even watched it, which I didn't realize. Oh, yeah, Margie was Dude, a fan. I really enjoyed Umbrella Academy, and I, and I hear what you're saying with the parallels to uh, Watchmen and uh, X Men, but I thought it. I thought it was weirder than any of those, especially since Watchmen I, kind of sticks. To no, I think when it was there. weird, it was great. It's just like for yeah. me, it's just like an inconsistent tone. Like one scene's like serious, then one scene's wacky, and then like here's a corporate musical montage thrown oh, in here. It I could, really it just, forces you to buy. For me, it. it just reeked of like forty people in the committee to be on the monitor, being like, "This is what the kids think is weird right now." <laughs> well, that's how I felt about the comic, and I know that we said that we were going to review. And then here we go. We're, like we're five minutes in, we're already <laughs> the, into it. The comic to me worked a bit, but I never read the comic. So it, but, and I was like, okay, well, it's super weird. So I expected this to be super weird, and it was. But and and it was for me, it felt clunky for the first uh, episode or two, where I was like trying to find that tone, like you mm-hmm. say, it's kind of going crazy between tones. But then once I bought in and just embraced that I wasn't going to be, and I'm not saying I lowered the standards, but once I was like, okay, this is what it is. It's going to be clunky and funky and weird. Then it started. I felt like it really started finding its legs. Yeah, it was definitely easier to watch in the was, first few episodes. Like after the first like three, I'd say I definitely. Yeah, by the end of it, it I was like, I really am enjoying this. So let's talk about the FP2 Beats of Rage. You guys have been playing it. You've been, again, four-walling this with the Draft House. And what that means, Geekscape, is he's actually taking this thing on tour. And we'll put a link up with the show notes of where you can see uh, if it's playing in your play, in your town. But um, you've played San Francisco. You've played Seattle. Yeah, we played Seattle over the weekend. I mean, we played a bunch of places. We played like 10 different places opening weekend, which was, I guess, February 22nd. And you're Skyping and doing Q&As. Skyping and doing Q&As. The one in, in uh, the San Francisco weekend, the opening weekend was crazy because I'd be Skyping in doing a Q&A on the iPhone, running in doing a live Q&A in San Francisco, and then running out and doing another Skype Q&A, mm-hmm. which is great that you can do that now. And also as a self-distributor, it's great because now I only have to pay because I'm the distributor to fly myself to one place and I don't have to like pay myself to fly to all these, which is great. I wish I could go to all of them. But when you start getting like you know your profits, and you're like, wow, I just I didn't make any money because I just paid to go places and <laughs> I talk spent about the movie. Five hundred dollars on a, a yeah, plane ticket, exactly. And, and then to put I'm myself up here. and yeah, but yeah. So it's great that like you can pick and choose. Like it's like San Francisco. That's close. That's cheap. I'll go there. Mm-hmm. Well, in 
What's the response been like? Because I, I what I want to say, Geekscape is, is like I hope that you're a fan of the first FP. This one is it's not Raid Two to the Raid One, but it's different and familiar at the same time. And the things that are different about it are some of the structural aspects to it. And I think that well, we're going to talk about this because I think that came out of that start stop thing that was going on with you and trying to develop it. And for you were you were chasing different things at different times, and it really informed how this thing turned out structurally but I think what it also allowed you to do is write a script that I thought was pretty damn good do, do, well, do you, is, are you happy with the script are I you, am okay. yeah I mean but that, I mean it's it's funny because that script that was the same script basically I mean with a couple tweaks here and there that I've had for years well yeah I'm doing that and thing that, with Hero yeah. Prophecy sometimes I pitch it as a movie sometimes I pitch it yeah. as a series and when I when but I pitched it as a series and I made a pilot we just shot the first 30 minutes of the script right and I and here's the thing that I'm noticing because that scene where they first introduce your character that that's like my the best scene I think you've written or done like that I mean I don't know how you feel about that but but that scene from and I texted you while I was watching mm-hmm. it. You were getting like a bit of live commentary, yeah, yeah. but you come in with like a bit of that that camera moved down, and it just felt so clean. And I was like, "Damn, if he wants to make this a TV show, this feels like a TV show." And the dialogue that you have, the little you know, Back to the Future two and three dialogue that you have with the kids who come into the store. Yeah, Back to the Future two and three was in Rambo World. Yeah, that's right. What it would be. And I'm watching this scene, and I'm like, "Wow, this is really well done. You're putting the camera in the right places. The dialogue's great, and you did a great job." And a lot of fucking filmmakers trip on this one of putting in that expositional dialogue in a really cool way that was natural because people are coming in. In Geekscape, if you've watched FP, this movie takes place once Beat Beat has been outlawed. That's the game. That's the Dance Dance game that's been the first one. And now it's really only used to kind of control the wastelands or or the different portions of the map that you see in the movie. And people are bartering for liquor. Booze. Booze. Quattro. For Quattro. And um, And so Jason's character is retired. He's done with the game. It's taken everything from him, and that, but he still has a beat beat machine up in the corner. And having two characters come into your space, looking for all this junk that you've been collecting in this junkyard you live in, and then saying, "Hey, what's that?" You did a really good job of that scene of giving that exposition of what the game is, what the stakes are, and how your characters having none of it, setting them up for the big return. <laughs> exactly. Ten re- years later, super damn clean. It was. I mean, that was the scene where I texted you. I was like, "Fuck, dude, you're kind of rocking on all cylinders right here." Um, well, everybody gets one, right? <laughs> you, like no, Spider-Man. I think you got four cylinders on this one. <laughs> um, so, talk to me about that because, like you said, I, you can sense when you watch this, the production values shift a little bit. Some of the stuff feels like you're you're shooting it as you're able to, mm-hmm. and that it was. Talk about the process of it, because I've been rambling. Well, yeah, we, we shot the first 30 minutes, like back when we did the original Indiegogo, where we didn't raise enough money, but we did that for as like a pilot, and I was like, yeah, cool, let's see. And like, you have these big dreams where you're like, yeah, I'm going to make this as a pilot, that's great. Okay, who do I pitch this to? I don't really know anybody. I don't have agents. I don't have anything. That was stupid. I know how to sell a movie. Right. At least I know how to send a movie to a film festival. Sure. So, you know, let's do an Indiegogo to raise the rest of the money and see if that works. Okay, that worked. 
I would have liked a little more money, but we did make a lot of money, so screw it. Let's let's just do it and see what happens. So give me like a percentage shift on those. It was two Indiegogos that got this movie done. Mm-hmm. It, okay, so that first Indiegogo, the one that was it for a movie or was it for a TV series? Were you it's, saying it was for a TV? It started series? as a movie, and then during the process of the Indiegogo, I'm like, we're never going to make enough for the movie, but let's do something. So let's make a pilot. Yeah, and let's then at least make the first the thirty minutes and can get us in some doors. Yeah, and so. Disproportionately, and obviously we can go back to the Indiegogo and see how much did how much did that Indiegogo go for the first thirty minutes of the movie, and how much did the Indiegogo go, second Indiegogo go towards the second half. Well, what, the, the like first the, the first hour one raised like I think like twenty grand or something uh-huh. for that first half an hour, and then for the uh, second two thirds, I suppose we raised like thirty four. Yeah, and it's just not proportionate yeah. to what you see. But that being said, I think you did a really good job of saying, okay, look. In an FP movie, this is all low budget, and you're embracing the low budget. I immediately texted a friend when I was done with it and said, hey, he, my friend Andy is the biggest Cherry 2000 fan. Is it Cherry 2000 or Cherry 3000? The one with Melanie Griffith that's a post-apocalyptic movie from the 80s? God, is that it's 3000? I think it's Cherry 2000. Uh-huh. And I texted him, I was like, dude, you have to watch the FP if you haven't seen it yet. I just finished the sequel. you got to watch both these movies because you did the smart thing of saying, hey, we've only raised X dollars a right now and we have to embrace the low budget aspect of this it's post-apocalyptic let's shoot a bunch of junk literal junk and you're shooting amongst junk um and i think you you said i think you i mean subconsciously or consciously did you make the decision that tone is the most important thing of the, in this franchise oh, absolutely I mean, that, yeah that would yeah i am too I'll, I'll get into that in a minute about the franchise portion but uh you know with the tone that's always been What's important? Like we did this the same way we did the first one. It's just like, what junk do we have lying around? Mm-hmm. Let's shoot that and see what happens. Let's venture out and see what other junks out there. Go shoot that junk. It's always like I've always thought how you can be successful with these things. We're never going to look as clean or big as a Marvel movie, but we don't want to be that. But that pilot stuff that you were shooting the first thirty minutes of the, like that scene I was talking about that mm-hmm. that's, that looked really solid. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I, I would argue there's some other solid stuff in there too. Well, I mean, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I got you, but yeah. yeah. Um, but but go back to what you were saying about the Marvel movie. Yeah, you gotta just you embrace it. Like we're not gonna be that movie. I don't want to be that movie. It's like okay, so we can have a, something that looks super clean and sounds super clean. All those things that you expect when you see a movie, but it can be creatively bankrupt. And it's yeah. like, is that what I want? Do I want to make something that I get to actually give you? I'd rather give you a story you've never seen before and have it not look and sound as great as the big ones than give you something that you've seen a billion times that looks clean and sounds exactly like you're used to. Yes, but if you were to raise $100,000, $150,000 and be able to deliver a higher level of quality, you wouldn't say no to it. I wouldn't say no to it, but generally more money, more problems. Like if mm-hmm. the only way that would happen is if it's on Indiegogo. If, if I ever had to, like if For an higher. investor came up yeah. and was like, here's 150 grand, I expect it back at the end of this, I'd be like, no, we can't well, do it. First it's never going to happen. Those people shouldn't be in the film They industry. shouldn't exist. <laughs> They're in the wrong industry. The film industry for me, what I, you know, yeah, is for people who are well, wealthy yeah. and they just want to be part of it. Yeah, and I've, I've, I've found something later too. It's like... You know, you don't really, if you're making independent movies, you're not really doing this for a career. You're doing it for fun because you Mm -hmm. like movies. And the second where I stopped caring about wanting to, like, make it, and, like, I watch all these big-budget movies, and I'm like, I hate all these movies. Why am I pretending that I'm aspiring to do this? you like Alita. And, like, no, I did like Alita a lot, but but Alita was bitching. But also, (laughs) in order to make Alita happen, you had to have James Cameron, Robert Rodriguez, who was working at this for 40 fucking years to get to this point to make that movie that nobody in America didn't make any money. But it, it, China will save it. But 
I, yeah, s- I saw it on Valentine's Geekscape, so I'm still qualified to run a thing called Geekscape. Yeah, I saw it on Valentine's, too. Oh, fuck yeah, we could have gone together, bro. Yeah, I mean, I saw it on IMAX. Did you see it with your wife, though? Yeah, oh, I'm not, I ain't getting third wheel on no. Valentine's. Boom. It, was, it was sad enough as it was. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you know, it's just kind of like, I don't really aspire to make that big junk movies. And I'm talking, it's like, I don't know, what, am I going to make a Marvel movie where it's like, here's your script, here's your template, you make it exactly like this, you do anything different, you're fired? No, but in in in, in yes, that in, doesn't in, sound fun. Because no. I've worked on these things, and I'm like, okay, I gotta tell somebody. A lot of people think that when they like, they'll get on Twitter and they yell at these directors and these big movies and things. Like, you ruined this movie. You did this and that. Yeah. He didn't do anything. He's basic. He's virtually a PA. He's a traffic cop at best who calls cut. Usually not even letting like the editing room. He has no say in casting. He has no say in anything. He's basically horror, the fall guy. I heard horror stories about Mark Webb on the Amazing Spider-Man movies where people thought he was the. They PA. thought he was a PA. Yeah, because it was like. Because the the 3D department at Sony, supposedly, this is all you know what I heard. The 3D department's sitting there calling the shots. Well, it's interesting. We've heard the same thing from different people who worked (laughs) on those movies. So it must be, you know. (laughs) 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 You you hear enough of those stories, and you're like you're part of enough of those stories. Because some of the things I've worked on are more corporate. It's like this doesn't look fun. These guys are scared. Like I know a lot of directors who are like, you know, quote unquote making it. They're, they're directing 20 plus million dollar movies. Sure. And they're terrified because if they make this movie and if one of their movies doesn't perform, they're done forever. That's right. That's right. And I mean, those of you who are like broken lizard fans, remember they worked their way out right up to Dukes of Hazard, And then boom. And then boom, <laughs> Dukes of Hazzard's over. And next they're they're right there on Indiegogo with yeah. you. Yeah, <laughs> they're on Indiegogo with you yeah. doing a Super Troopers 2 exactly. on the Kickstarter <laughs> and stuff like that. Your dog loves me mm-hmm. and she wants, wants a piece more of it. affection. Um, so Geeks gave us, I love sitting here with Jason because the dog. And I like talking to Jason. So let's talk about this. So what's going through your head now when you're sitting here going, okay, this Indiegogo for a feature fell short of where I'm at. You've got a script for a feature. Because pilots aren't, structurally, they're not film. They're not the first third of a film. And you I know mean, that. I mean, yes and no. I would, I would argue a lot. Like a lot of my favorite shows, it seems like the first epi- the pilot is kind of the first act. And then the other eight episodes is this really long second act, well, and the Netflix, finale is a third act. Well, Netflix is always... Yeah. You can argue that a lot of those Netflix shows have that middle act problem where it's oh, yeah. like, okay, you guys... But, that, but that's what it seems like when you look at the arc of these most of these modern shows. It's like the first one's the first act, mm-hmm. last episode's the, the third act, and then you just got this six-episode second act of just filler shit. That I do hear that. Do you want to be part of that? No, I just thought maybe there was an avenue to do something because that was popular. It seemed like that was hot. I don't know. You kind of wait. You, you just argued against selling you, you, out. Now you're totally you, saying that you're selling out. Well, no. That's why this is what I'm trying to say. Is that at first I was like, do I do I sell? Out? I want to make this. Like um, yes. But then I got to the point and I was like, screw it. I know how to do enough stuff myself or with a couple of my very talented friends and family where let's just do it ourselves. Why are we trying to be the other guys? We're never going to be the other guys. We don't want to be the other guys. Let's do it our way and just say F it to anyone else. If, if Marvel, who still doesn't have somebody in the chair for Guardians 3, comes and was like, hey, Jason, listen, we saw FP2. We think you're fucking weird like James Gunn. We want to give you Guardians of the Galaxy There's, there's no way in history. You, there's well, no way in history they'd come to me. No, I'm just saying because you seem so adamant <laughs> yeah. against this concept. Well, okay, I you would, would take it. Sure, I'd take it because well, actually, no, that's not true. The first time director's fee they pay you for a movie, you're only going to make about a hundred grand on your first movie okay. for spending two years. Okay, now hundred grand. Now we're going to subtract thirty percent from taxes, right? We're going to subtract ten for agents, ten for managers, ten for lawyers. I'm walking out of of working two years of my life sitting there on, with knee pads built in. To, to make this movie however yeah. they want. And I'm walking out with like 30 grand for working for two years. Now, 
You're, yes, you're doing that. The hope but is that, that this one does well enough. Place. Hopefully that yeah. one does well enough so then I make a million yeah. on the second one. And then that million also means more like two or $300,000. Yeah. So I'm not even rich yet. I got to do, I basically have to become a slave for the man for about, for a full trilogy, about almost 10 years until I actually get a payday where and like I can buy maybe an apartment and in And I LA. know your tweets aren't, aren't very PC, so that, that should have lasted until somebody goes back Oh no, I got Twitter. a thing on my Twitter which is great, which every director should have, which mm-hmm. is after three months it deletes any tweets older than three months. Oh, that's amazing. So if I have a moment, like it's gone. It's great. Um, yeah, there was definitely some shit in there, I'm sure. <laughs> but again, notice how like James Gunn used to live in like Los Feliz or Echo Park-ish mm-hmm. and then like Guardians 2 comes out and he's in Malibu. <laughs> but also, you know how like, because I don't know if people know this, but generally you renegotiate your contract between two and three. Mm-hmm. They knew about these tweets since they hired him. Everything was fine. Of course. He just renegotiated his contract and third one and they're like, hmm, that's a little bit too much. We don't want to spend that because Marvel is notoriously cheap too. No one really gets money. They don't you want don't to pay anyone. Anything there. to do with these tweets? Bullshit. They knew about those. They do a cleanse on you before you even go into these things. I know this for a fact okay. from people. They knew. They had that in their back pocket. Robert Downey Jr. went to fucking prison. He's still Iron Man. Right. Like for doing drugs and hardcore but, shit. But he did renegotiate his his contract much higher. Who uh, Robert, Robert Downey? Downey. Well, yeah, yeah, Robert Downey. But he's the face. Right. Okay, we know who James Gunn is. Us geeks. Mm-hmm. The other ninety percent of people who buy tickets to these movies, they don't give a shit who the director is. <laughs> they don't know what he looks like. He's not like in it. Like they don't care. We're replaceable. <laughs> okay, so talk about like the filmmaking course correct because obviously, like when the the money isn't totally getting you to that finish line on Indiegogo, and you feel like you have to structurally, professionally course correct the project to say, okay, we're going to make a pilot now. Why not just stay the course? You've got 30 minutes. You've cut it into a pilot. I know you did that because you can't stop but post about it on fucking Instagram, mm-hmm. Jason. <laughs> so you got the pilot. You're talking about it being a pilot. But then you start getting this itch to make a film. Why not stick to the I'll, course? I'll, t- I'll tell you why I didn't stick the course. About what, like going further with the pilot? Yeah, and just really well, try Because to... I took it around to a couple of people, I show it to them, and you get the same reaction, like, that's great, can't wait until you, until you make the rest of it, show oh, us the rest, no. come with the rest. <laughs> Fuck you guys. <laughs> Every time, that was the answer, like, we love it, can't wait just the rest of it. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and it's like, okay, well, fuck you, I'm just well, going to make it a movie. how demoralizing is that? Yeah. Did you take a period where you're like, fuck, man, I'm going to go do a walkabout, and then I'm going to No, come I don't really do that, I don't really do like the sad, mopey thing, I usually do like the... On screen you do? Uh, yeah, yeah. But like, I'm more of like the Rocky, where it's like, I just go find the eye of the tiger and just. Lock myself up somewhere and just come back with a movie six months later. You did that in this film too. Yeah. Um, so if you want to see both Mopey Solid mm. Snake, um, because that one sequence it looked like that one Kojima where Solid Snake or had been like out in the desert. Or maybe that was mm-hmm. well, that wasn't Kojima because I know you're a big fan of Kojima. Yeah. But um, when people looked up and like Halo Four or Five had fucking Master Chief come out of the desert, <laughs> like you I, did that. Too I, I in love. This movie. I love that you uh, you saw that reference because yes, that was definitely a big. <laughs> come on, man. Yeah, I know you, bro. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, video game fans. And that was Halo 5. To be it was Halo which 5? was actually never in the game. It was just the teaser trailer for Halo 5. All of a sudden, it was bitching. Solid I was like, this game is going to be great. The solid Snake's like coming <laughs> out of the desert. That scene was never in it. Like, how cool was <laughs> that moment? And they never even put it in the game. <laughs> he's coming out of the desert. Like <laughs> he's a robot. Who cares? Why does he need a cloak? It's he's, awesome. <laughs> he's not a robot. He's a Spartan. Okay, whatever. <laughs> but he, he, he lived amongst like the freaking like wandering tribes in the desert. And it's yeah, like, only in that it? teaser. That never happened what in the game. This shit? That was so cool. But you put it in the movie. Yeah, well, I wasn't. Like, I wasn't a robot. <laughs> so, which is pretty. Geeks games. We're all kind of all over the map, but that's what happens when you get along with your friends and we just start talking. So, talk to me about that. <laughs> talk to me about that course correction. You have your Rocky montage, and suddenly you're like, okay, 
I know how to make movies. I know that I can four-wall this thing and tour it. I know that we can not do a profit participation share with uh, with the distributor because we'll distribute it. Tim League obviously has been helping well, you. I, I didn't know I was going to distribute it at this point. That part comes later. Oh, so, there so was you, still, you, you were like, I'm just going to make yeah. a movie and see what happens. Yeah, basically I was like, I just want to make a movie, see what happens. Because also I had no idea do people still even like the FP. I don't know. They didn't was like it even then. Thing? No, but I'm saying... Like, <laughs> Because people tell me, like, oh, yeah, it's great. Because I always get, like, you know, tweets or whatever, like, hey, when's FP2 coming? I'm like, I don't know. Does anybody even remember that? Remember when you came to the Geekscape booth and those kids were cosplaying as you yeah. guys? So, like, enough of those things started happening. I was like, okay, why not? Like, because I always loved the FP world. I always wanted to go back. It's amazing. Yeah, and then, so, yeah, I mean, a lot of it, too, was pigeoneering. Like, a lot of people telling me, like, you should do this. You should do that. This is going to be hot. This is going to be that. And, you know, you listen to it. But until it's not them point. taking the risk. But, yeah, and then you get old enough and you get to a point and you're just kind of like, I don't give a shit what you want. I'm going to do what I want. And that's mm-hmm. when making it a movie again happened because I was like, screw it. I know how to make a movie. I know how to submit a movie to film festivals. I still know a couple. Let's see what happens. Mm-hmm. And then I still had some connections at Draft House, and I gave, I submitted there to Fantastic Fest, and I was like, God, I hope that they even like respond or anything. And then they responded, and they loved it, and they wanted to premiere it at Fantastic Fest, and I was like, You got to be kidding me! And then really, you didn't think that, that I had no idea. Well, I, I I always got along well with the guys, but you know, we haven't talked in a couple of years. And, like, you don't know what happens in this and, business. And did Brandy Fonz help? Was that was she on board with this one? She was busy promoting Fantastic Fest. I did see her a couple of times, though. I love Brandy, but she pretty much runs that whole Dude, festival. Like, it's crazy. She and Ryan. Like their whole, yeah, I remember when insane. they were starting out. This is the yeah. PR firm that helped out with with uh, the first FP and does all the draft house stuff. They're now doing major Hollywood motion pictures, oh, yeah. and I'm sitting there looking at the the stuff that Ryan and they send me, and I'm like, this is amazing. Yeah, they, they really have done a great job for totally. themselves. Um, I'm not a huge fan of what's happened to Alamo South. <laughs> <laughs> Turning into that beehive. Uh, like, oh, the, uh, the South Lamar? South Lamar location. I didn't even recognize it because the first time, the like, last time I was there was for, you know, South by Southwest in 2011 or whatever. With I grew FB1. up in that neighborhood. That's and nuts. And I look back and I'm like, I went to, uh, it's completely different now because it was like a little theater in a mm-hmm. like Costco parking lot, basically. And it wasn't Costco, but it was like one of those big parking lots my in the middle of nowhere. theater director, Ronald Dodson, he was my high school theater director, had, he and his, his husband, partner had a like thrift store right across the parking lot oh, from the shit. from the draft house south i show up this thing is like a beehive with nerds living there like flipping all over each other and i'm like mm-hmm. you can't see the street yeah from it it's incredible but um there are draft house sprouting up everywhere and that that thing is really blown up and brandy and ryan fawns have a lot to do with it and, we're finally uh, going to get one here in la this summer rumor keep, has it that they keep pushing town one that they keep yeah. pushing yeah i hope so but in the franchising agreements for those things you got to open up one and then last time i looked at the franchising agreement you have to open up two in the same area pretty quickly so i'm guessing west la might get one mm-hmm. and then maybe orange county yeah they need one valley or yep. something that way we'll get FP3 and some screens down here. Well, we're going to get to that. We're going to get to that, Jason, because um, Geekscape is Jason's also been throwing up a bunch of free content for you guys. Some of his older movies have started to show up for free on Amazon. Yeah, Amazon Did I get Prime. that right? Mm-hmm. So if you guys have Amazon Prime, look for Jason. He's got a couple of movies. How does that work? If they search your name, they'll find all the movies that you have Yeah, up? if you just search Jason Trost, you'll find it, and then it'll have a little Prime logo on it if you can watch it for free. And that's one I put up there and distributed myself because this is all part of me just distributing things myself now and... If you're not going to make, I mean, the tail on these movies are kind of long, but they're but at this level, you're not making millions of dollars. You're not yeah. making thousands of hundreds of thousands of dollars, tens of thousands of dollars. And by the by the end of it, you have to tell yourself like, okay, if I'm only making like change now off of these movies that I, where I made five years ago, I'll just I'll just uh, do the the whole business of making 
uh, fan incubation. I'll give it out for free. I'll gain some more fans, and that'll help the next one that'll actually help me out a little better. Completely. Like, I'd also rather people be able to see my movies and watch them than them just be sitting on a shelf somewhere on some distributors, you know, that never sold it, never knew what to do with it. Like, what's crazy, like, with How to Save Us that I made years ago, or at least on Amazon Prime, that's been watched like 10,000 times on there in the past month, which is maybe more than it was ever watched when it was actually officially released. Are you able which is to, because you and Lucas came on the show to promote mm-hmm. it, are you able to link Lucas onto that film and it's all good to go? Because I don't know what the whole deal is with Lucas and CBS being MacGyver and all that I don't that know, stuff. but Wet and Reckless is on there now. And if you click on Lucas's name, it'll show up. We'll see you know, when I get a season this angry email maybe but the, 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 the problem they have is that now lucas is macgyver he's like in season three and he's getting more power there but like he uh he loves wet and reckless so yeah. it's, and lucas is the type of guy that'd be like i don't know suck it it's on there <laughs> good for him man good so. for him um so geeks Abus, if you have amazon prime go and look for jason's name and go watch those films it, it's a nice pretty it's a pretty good primer for this and please we've been talking about it enough if you haven't seen the FP you should watch it because this one's getting toured on Um, Jason you're going to these places to four wall this movie and you're kind of driving around (laughs) and uh, and releasing it uh, what's the few, what's the couple next couple of dates that you got going on? Uh, next couple of dates. Well, I mean, this weekend we have. I think we've got a one in Seattle that's going on. We've got. I just made a list of this. Oh yeah, we've got the one in Wisconsin, which is I'm really excited about, which is Midwest Weird Fest, which oh. is a film festival. I was like, why are you excited about Wisconsin? Yeah, but, yeah. but if it's a cool con- no, convention. No, it's a cool. It's a cool convention. Also, the uh, the leader of the festival, if you will, Dean Bartem. He was. Uh, He's pretty much responsible for Talay and I, who's Chai T, and my wife for meeting out oh, when we're really? in Australia. Because, yeah, he was running the festival that she was working at when we met out in Australia when I took Wet and Reckless and All Superheroes Must Die out there back in, like, God knows when. 2000. But it's crazy. And he's like, you want to come out for this? And we'll do, like, an FP double feature. And I'm like, hell yeah, actually. And then, like, we've got, like, a, there's a 2 p.m., like, beat-off. With us at that an arcade with so, some with me and whoever wants to come and see how bad I am at that game now. Are you okay in the DDR? Were you back I, in the day? I, I was really good back in the day, but I haven't been very religious on those pads in a while. I need to really get something set up in the garage because I can only imagine it. I'm not sure if it's exactly like riding a bike like KCDC says or not, but we're going to find out. People are going to be coming at you, dude. Yeah. People, like you have a target on your back Generally, Because you've been talking trash with these movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You have to. And now you're like, these but guys that's are the joke, up. right? Yeah. Because that's the whole thing. Because everyone in the FP world, they talk trash, but they're not for real. <laughs> Just like everyone that this movie's based on. So in the movie, you did something right off the bat with the movie to let people know that you weren't effing around. Uh, you killed off. And I'll, this is the first scene. So you killed off one of my favorite characters. You don't from say FP1. who. I won't. <laughs> you killed off one of my favorite characters from FP one, and I was like, oh, this isn't for real. It was for real. Oh yeah. And then we meet stakes, bitch. And then we meet you. Yeah. Ten years down the road, you're getting too old for this shit. You're not in that game anymore. But somebody has to come and save the FP again from this brand new character who's basically like a soul collector now. He's got this fucking weird arcane power. That's, when he that's S O L E because he takes yeah. shoes. <laughs> so S O L E, like he removes your shoes and wears them. And the shoes obviously are important because you're playing. The futuristic, to the death version of Dance Dance Revolution, uh, the beat beat, and um, where did this whole idea come from? Because I mean, obviously, you could have just gone with a you know, it's like Karate Kid Two. He just does better karate. 
Karate yeah, Kid you know, 3, he just does it, better these are, karate. These are the sequels that I didn't want this to become. I didn't want to be right. like this one because the natural one is like, ooh, a new guy moves in down the street. Shit's going to get hot. Like, that's not very interesting to me. My idea with, because these movies, they're always like parodies or like, you know, they're paying homage to like those action movies that I grew up on growing up. And if like the first one was like the Karate Kid and the Rockies, I wanted this, this one was more of like my Conan and Highlander. And I wanted to go more of the 80s <laughs> fantasy way with this right. one. I mean, there's still elements of the other stuff, but like I, I, my you know, idea envisioning for this franchise was that every single one would kind of go after a different genre of movies I grew up on. Like, you know, a third one is going to be different from this one, too. Sure. It's not going to be just this times two. Because I kind of, I've, with comedy sequels, I think the worst thing to ever do with them is be like, let's do the same movie again, but make the jokes a little bit raunchier. Well, that's why I, I made the, the comparison. same thing again. Like, Hangover made, 2 sort yeah. of thing. Like, they just go somewhere else. And that's why I made the comparison to the Raid and Raid 2, because Raid 2 is a, I mean, even though it's a fucking kick-ass action movie like the first Raid, the structure's violently different. It's two and a half hours as opposed yeah. to like the 45 minutes or whatever the first yeah, yeah. Raid is. And, and it, it, it's told out of order. It's yeah, like they, a didn't really have a, they didn't have a movie. Dread 2 to steal the script from, so they had to do something. They didn't have Dread 2. Don't be rude. <laughs> um... Those movies just coincidentally came out I know, at the same I know, time. I know, I love both of them. I'm just being the, a dick. Yeah, both Dread and The Raid are <laughs> awesome. Uh, and I love the fact that The Raid 2 was that drastically different. But um, John Wick 2, I know everybody's looking forward to John Wick 3, but i got to admit to you, Geeks Gabe, is John Wick 2 just felt like more John Wick. And I was not as into it as I, I really wanted to. I think it to. oddly took longer for him to start John Wicking in 2 than 1, which was odd. I, You know what, I... But when I he starts John Wicking, movies. it's really worth it. But yeah. it takes like an hour to John Wick. I enjoy and those that's... movies, but I'm like, okay, well, now they didn't kill his dog, but they did this. And in the next one... Like, They're going to do that. That Well, obviously, the, I mean, if you watch John Wick 2, they set up John Wick 3 right off the bat. But I'll t- I won't lie to you, Geekscapists. The reason I'm looking forward to him the most is because he's fighting Boban from the LA Clippers. I guess he's on the Sixers now. But he's like a seven foot four basketball player who he's fighting in one of the scenes. And, and Halle like, Berry has dogs. Yeah, I was like, I'll watch this. I'll watch Morpheus yeah. come back for this yeah. thing. I mean, I'll be honest. The best part of the second one was seeing him and Morpheus back together just mm-hmm. talking. Like, mm-hmm. All the action scenes are cool, but the part where I was like on the edge of my seat was when him and Morpheus were talking. And then this one's got Mark Dacascos in it. So mm-hmm. I'm like, I want to see what Mark Dacascos does fighting uh, John yeah, Wick. because so. I, I could piss and moan about him, but I do just love that these movies exist. In this day and age that we're getting like a not superhero, just tough guy movie. Yeah. It feels like, because this movie would have come out in the 80s. Mm-hmm. Like this sort of movie would have the, happened. The other one, this is what I watched, and I watched it off of Matt Kelly's. Uh, I think he interviewed you at Fantastic yep. Fest. So Matt Kelly recommended that new Liam Neeson movie called Pursuit. I did want to see that. Did the Snowplow Revenge I movie. Called you, dude. Friday night, I went to see like a ten o'clock screening dude, of I've it. Got the AMC pass. I can just, dude. This movie, and I <laughs> remember at the beginning of the show, and you said you were going to review shit. <laughs> no, I'm not going to talk about what I think Thanos is doing with the Infinity Stones. That's what I'm not going to talk about. I don't care. It's not going to matter. It's not going to matter. You're going to see the movie and, <laughs> yeah. and you have wasted a time obsessing about this shit. So stop. Um, but this movie, is, Matt Kelly was like, this movie's really up your alley. And I was like, ah, I'm so tired of this Liam Neeson I really wanted to see stuff. it. Because it's something just about the thing. trailer, I was just like, there sounds like there's something here. I will tell you this. The second I saw that Laura Dern was playing his wife, I'm like, why is she in this movie? Because she shouldn't be. Yeah. And that William Forsyth is like playing his brother. I'm like, why is he in this movie? Dude. Because it seems like they could have just taken European actors yeah. and done a slap job of him mm-hmm. just killing everybody on screen. I think he disappears from this movie for like for like 30 minutes. This movie's really self-aware. So in Cold Pursuit, his like 
he and Laura Dern's like son dies or is killed, and there's you know they think that it's been framed to look like a heroin overdose and this and that. But Liam Neeson knows his son's not a druggie, and he drives a snowplow. And the movie's just really funky, like they clearly shot it above the Arctic Circle or something. Because he's and then all of a sudden you'll see that most of the movie take like a lot of it takes place around Denver, and I'm like Denver doesn't have giant twenty foot snowbanks that need to be cleaned out every fucking day, and so they shot it like Norway, like awesome. Norway, like they shot it in some place like Greenland. I would have done the same thing. That looks way cooler. <laughs> and they're like, and then you see like like a city, and it says like Denver, and I'm like, get the hell out of here with that. Oh man. And then you have these sequences where the bad guys like getting wise to somebody picking them off and it's like find out who this guy is and he sends two hitmen but before the hitmen go and do it uh they have a romantic conversation these two guys have like a romantic conversation so it's progressive too <laughs> and i'm sitting here looking at this like none of this shit needs to be in the movie they all put it in this movie because who gives a crap mm-hmm. and this movie is just weird Great. it's just a weird movie and i will and i'm with you <laughs> that i will prefer weird over standard structure Sound any, structure, any, day. any freaking day. Because we've seen the, you know, quote-unquote, quote fingers here, perfect Save the Cat structure movie a thousand million times. And I'm like, not saying this movie is good, Geekscapers. I'm just saying it's interesting, and that's better than good. Sometimes I'd rather that's interesting than good. Totally. You know? And totally. I think that's what you're trying to say, and I agree. Like, I just want to be like, I want for a second to be able to, like, turn off my, God, this again. And just actually lose myself in something and be like, what the hell is going on? Listen, man, as much as you love Black Panther and I'm really glad the Oscars is and that, I, like, hey guys, it was the structure of Thor 1. It's also a little movie called Lion King. Yeah, which is Thor, you know, Thor 1. And people are like, it's Shakespeare. I'm like, that's great. We yeah. love Shakespeare. It was, so, it was so inventive. They like, shot the whole thing in a parking lot in Georgia on a green screen <laughs> instead of actually going to Africa and giving it some heart know, and soul and like, character. You know what? You can diss these things all you want. And I think yeah. there were some things that, that Black Panther did that were amazing. But structurally, I think what people really thought, thought was fresh about it was the representation, and it gets and it deserves every piece of credit it wanted. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think what people loved about Guardians was that it was fucking weird, and it deserves every credit for being a Farscape film. <laughs> like, but uh, but like, what I love is that they're taking things that were kind of only for a certain audience and what Marvel's doing is blowing them up. For instance, like, yes, you can argue that Farscape was very responsible for that Andy, like that Abnett and, and I forget the guys who did, redid Guardians in the early 2000s, but it felt like Farscape where you have a bunch of criminals on a ship together racing against some giant It's empire. interesting because like different demographics I think respond to like you know, something different coming out more. Because, like, yeah. take Alita, for example, which didn't make much money here. That movie, where it's, which I thought was bitching, which I haven't seen, is a $170 million sci-fi movie predominantly cast because of Robert Rodriguez with Mexicans. So you had this, which I've never seen, a bitchin' Mexican anime awesome. movie. And it was it was so cool seeing that diversity. Nobody gave a shit. And it she did, did a great job. She did a great job. The girl who was doing the mocap yeah, for Alita, amazing so cool. job. So like, expressive. It was know, like Thanos. It was like Thanos But since that diversity acting. wasn't as hot and they didn't have, like, the right marketing whatever, they didn't... Because I guess with that movie, they didn't think they had to coin that and be like, this is the first Mexican thing. But I, I was watching it the whole time. and like, not only does it have that, I've never seen this world before. This is insane. Like, it was so neat. Like, and I guess, yeah, that's what I wanted a little more with Black Panther was not like, don't give me 
like, you know, an unused Iron Man script and throw Black Panther in it. Give me something that's, like, brand new. Because these Marvel things, not just Marvel, I don't want to just pick on Marvel, but all these big-budget studio things, scripts now, they just feel like Mad Libs. Do you mm-hmm. remember Mad Libs when we were kids, where it's like you just replace the nouns and the adjectives, and it's just the same thing every time? That's my personality. I, think that's, I say the yeah. same jokes every but, time. But that's all they're doing with these movies. Yeah. So it's like, when you're watching this movie, and you're like, that's technically good, but why don't I remember it? It's because it's just the same thing you've seen a million times, and it's some sort of social experiment they're doing to us. Well, at the budget level that you and I work at, yeah, like we can take those risks, yeah. But, but understand, like with the star, like you can't really blame Disney and these directors and filmmakers and Kevin Feige, who I think is brilliant. You can't really because he because the tapestry he put together mm-hmm. and the strategies he's used to build this entire empire is brilliant because it's well, yeah. It's like what if we made a TV show but every episode was two hundred million dollars, dude? It's 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 incredible. It's yeah. crazy that we've gotten here. But if you got stockholders sitting there, mm-hmm. come on, man, you got to do well, it. I always think that, like, you know how what do they do? They make four, three or four Marvel movies a year. At this point, yeah. What if we made two, right? Mm-hmm. Two two hundred million dollar movies. I'm, I'm not going to go into why they should cost less or whatever. But we're not going to go there. Instead of making the third one, why don't we make like ten twenty million dollar ones? If eight of them fail. Those two might be huge, and you could do something different with everyone, and they would pay for all of it. You can do a movie. You can do a TV. I feel like, and as a stockholder, I feel like you'd make more money with that because you'd give people, you can do things there with diversity, things, and also like little tiny, like smaller scale stories. Like, because I think what people get exhausted about is every time people have to expect, like, oh, they have to save the world, there's gonna be crashing cities or buildings, or how are we gonna be like, see, we're in the docks, get them away from the city. They always gotta throw that line in there now because. But it's like, what if we got rid of all that shit? And the things like a lot of my favorite comic stories growing up were the thing where it's like just about like a character, a guy, like one night, like this is just this superhero's day when he did this thing, you know? And it's like well, you could tell Netflix, these smaller, more personal that's why that stories. The first Daredevil season felt fresh. Yeah. Like because it was a smaller, that, personal. I loved it. And like, but they could do that. They could make 10 of those $20 million ones a year. And they would, I'm sure like a several, like some of them might not make that much no. back, but. A couple of them might make a billion, but they've got and they have the characters. Like yeah. that is how you would. Make they've got a, thousands of characters. That's how you like, would make a Blade film. Yeah, that's oh, how you would make a Man Wolf movie. That's how you'd make a Man Thing movie. That's how you would make a. Technically, that's how they already made a Blade movie. Yeah, you make a Machine Man movie. <laughs> yeah. like you could make a movie with Tigra. Yeah, you could make a. Movie and those with, are the ones that I want. Like yeah. the whole. I think part of it too is like I never really, as a kid that growing up, I never really cared much about the Avengers thing. Like I knew who they were and all that, Careful. but it's like, okay. uh, <laughs> it's fine. Like the movies, yeah. Um, but I just they weren't interesting to me I think overly powered characters never really got me too interested as a kid like even Superman I was, I was like well, I was more of like the Batman guy because like no, for me no. it always told me the story where it's like Are you hurting uh, me you're hurting yeah, me yeah I'm hurting you I'm hurting you <laughs> but no it's like I like the just the moral of like anyone could become this person if they tried hard enough or like even with Blade it's like yeah he got bit by or he's like half vampire because his mom Blade's was, yada, yada, yada. was attacked by a vampire yeah 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 but it's like he still had to put in all that work and like learn how to do his thing and his craft and this and that not just like well I was born super, and let's see what happens. Well, I mean, Superman had to work through the idea of not killing a bunch of people. <laughs> in the comics, yes. In the movies, it's kind of like, movies, whatever. It was like, should I have killed them? Should I have let them die, Dad? And he's like, yeah, maybe. And I'm yeah, like, bro. no. Well, that's, no. that's the problem. You never have Kevin Costner as your dad. Well, I don't mind that, but like the moral ambiguity of Jonathan Kent just doesn't make sense, and it mm-hmm. sets you up for like, like Jonathan Kent is, is Kal-El's heart. Well, so, I mean, that's why he must die of a heart attack. Those movies were always so interesting to me, too, because it's like he has to die of a, in the tornado. Like, no. they probably, what, they spent $10 million probably on that tornado death scene? But with, it makes no sense, because Clark well, could have stopped the tornado. Yeah. He can't stop a heart attack. No, I think we've talked about 
about this before. We totally talked about it. I remember us talking, and the, the way the much better emotional thing is like something like you're saying, Superman can't stop, and it shows him the fragileness of human beings. Heart. Is yeah, is that the heart breaks and like Please. that, and that would have cost fucking. I mean, still in a big budget movie, that would have been like ten thousand dollars for every hour, but. You know, every, every have, minute you mean. Yeah, it wouldn't have been like second. It wouldn't have been twenty million dollars for one minute of screen time. <laughs> they didn't need that shit. And you didn't have to not like the Kents because they left a dog in the car. Oh man. <laughs> Why would you leave a dog in the car? There's a lot of weird morbid stuff in those movies. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, Geekscape is clearly like we love that stuff, so that's just why we talk about it. And sometimes it works for us, sometimes it doesn't. But yeah. well, I think too, no matter how much we piss and moan, we're all still fans of all this stuff at heart. And <laughs> totally. So we always circle back to because it. I can tell because like, in your movie, you're putting these things in there, dude. Should the third one be like a lone wolf and cub story? I'm not going to get into what the third one is yet because you're not expecting it. Okay, uh, at least, Or maybe you are. I don't know, but it's not that. <laughs> okay. Because um, that would be pretty sick. It, and I know it just depends on what Kojima puts out between now and then. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's... It's going gonna, it's gonna to be like that weird baby thing that we saw in that freaking trailer from E3 for his movie. Oh, God, what yeah. was his thing? What is that last... The, or what is that? Something... <laughs> something. I can't remember. The name is like really convoluted. Death Standing? <laughs> yeah, something. I yeah. don't know. But it's like... Uh, I watched about a minute of it, and I'm like, oh, we're good, bye. <laughs> I think we're good. I'm, I don't have the adoration. I'll, I'll, I'll play it when it comes out. In the what, the casinos? Them. As a yeah. pachinko machine? That's well, no, Konami. It, yeah, that's Konami, yeah. They stole Silent Hill <laughs> from us. So talk to me again about like what you do now that you're sitting here with a pilot, and you're like, okay, I've got two-thirds of this movie now to do. Mm-hmm. I've got X amount of resources. How do you schedule that out? To be like, where are we going to spend this thing? Because it'll go fast if we don't do this smart. Yeah, I mean, you just cut your days down. You go through that script and you make sure that literally every line of dialogue that is going to be in that thing is ironclad and needs to be there. You turn the editor brain on. Because in the pilot, like, and you'll see on the Blu-ray when it comes out, there's two deleted scenes that come from the pilot. There's zero deleted scenes that come from the rest of the movie. We shot literally exactly what we needed, and that was it, because we yeah, just didn't have the money for otherwise. So why did Frank end up in the movie so much? Well, why did, yeah, <laughs> I'm was, kidding. He was just there on the day. <laughs> Our geeks gave us no. Frank Sanders. You can see him in some of the stuff. We, we love us some Frank Sanders. Frank Sanders is like self-proclaimed FP's biggest fan. He showed up in, uh, he came to help PA and in, in do some solids on... Uh, Chasing Fletcher Allen, and you can totally see Frank in a couple of scenes where we needed Thank an God. extra crowd person. actor reel is growing. <laughs> I was like, hey, Frank, get in the back there. We need to fill that space. He's a good space filler. I mean, Frank, he, he jumps off the screen, though. <laughs> well, in your movie, he jumps yeah. off the screen because he's doing crazy shit. Because he's like jumping. Pouring four loco on his head or whatever the hell you guys have in this yeah, yeah. movie. Um, he loves doing that shit, He's though. making a character of himself, and he's got his freaking shirt off and all this stuff, and I'm sitting there going, what is this? Frank's Gone Wild? Mm-hmm. It is Frank's Gone Wild. <laughs> he kind of did that in yeah. this scene. Um, well, the first one we had girls showing their boobs. This one we got Frank showing his boobs. <laughs> it's very progressive. <laughs> um, you got a shout out who, I mean, I know she's gotten some attention of this and people have really recognized her and I think that she should be, but your sister doing this, this costume design on a lot of this stuff, like, she's so freaking resourceful and talented. Oh yeah, now Sarah's insane. Like she is the main character essentially of the FP. It's like there's Jatro, but like the costumes are really like what makes the world. And that's something to where it's like I feel like when you don't have any money to like do things like production design or like sets or things like that, it's like there's enough cool places out there you can drive to and just shoot. But uh, your production design kind of just becomes the costumes. Sure. So if you have these crazy fantasy costumes, everything just kind of looks cool. Yeah. Or at least no. looks like your world when. 
Yeah, and this one, like, the first one had, like, the Civil War stuff and the crazy, like, you know, 90s, 80s stuff. But this one's definitely more of, like, Miyazaki's 8 Mile kind of thing. <laughs> and, uh, that's so weird. But that's what it is. <laughs> but you're right. When you start having those fantasy elements and it's, like, sitting here with this fucking weird house-moving castle crap. And you're like, what is this? Yeah. People coming through the mist and they're all weird looking. Um, definitely, definitely appreciate it. Um, and Geekscape is like if you're a filmmaker and you're listening to this and you just want to see how you can stretch it but you have to be creative it all needs to like end up in front of the camera you can't be crazy with like paying for big things and, and Frank and I were talking before the podcast about like just you know we love living in LA but the realities of shooting in LA is a town that wants to get paid and that means permits and this and that and it's just it cripples somebody at our level because we're trying to get those things made yeah and it seems like sometimes the city's against us. Yeah, totally. And it's like, also like, I can't, so many people are like, I've got 10,000 for a short. Okay, so I'm going to rent an Alexa for the weekend, all these lenses. I'm like, why would you do that? It's not about the camera. It's about what you put in front of the camera. And where like you put you're saying. the camera. Yeah, but also it's like, you know, I always go back to 28 Days Later. They shot that on a little prosumer, like DV camera. The movie looks awesome because they it put moves. rad stuff in front of the camera. You don't need an Alexa like that. If you're going to spend 90% of your budget on your camera, you should probably just stop. No, we're using like, cameras that we own. Yeah, use cameras. That, you got to use cameras and, that you and, own. And here's the thing, because I don't know. You've seen some screenshots mm-hmm. from what we've been shooting, but <laughs> here's the big reveal about why are people, because I was at an event yesterday, and, and a director came up to me and was like, hey, that stuff is looking really great. Here's the secret. Our friend Charlie, who's not even part of the film, but is totally going to get... Uh, beyond a thank you on this movie shot the Defiant Ones for Dr. Dre on HBO right and he's basically like Dre's dude and Charlie's like the nicest freaking guy and he was Heidi's friend and we got along and he's got these lenses that Dre bought him to shoot the Defiant Ones they're mm-hmm. like $100,000 lenses dude that's, and, and, and that's he, where it's at he lets me pick them up every day before we shoot and we're shooting with these lenses that are fucking awesome but if I can't if I'm pointing them at crap we can't do it. If I'm pointing them at a freaking wall, we're not going to do it. Like mm-hmm. We've got to figure out where to put these things. And that's where like I'm spending the week before the day doing that stuff. And I'm you, sitting down for days. You're going to want to get a bunch day. of LED lights just in case. And so you, if you've got a blank area in your production design, you're just going to shine that flashlight into the lens so you get that bitch in J.J. Abrams' <laughs> lens flare. And it'll look cool and it'll clear out that air, that's that white area. That's not our movie. Uh, that's, that's, that's not our movie, man. <laughs> <laughs> that's not, that, that is your movie. Uh, this movie we're trying to make a little bit it's like it's just softer, so it's like not. It's not zany. There's parts in it that are weird. We shot. You don't on put a, the star filter on anamorphic lenses and see what happens. We shot on a spaceship set two weeks ago and shot some like pew pew stuff, but that even that has to look like '90s TV. Yeah. So we did star anamorphic lens like star filter. So like we've got J.J. Abrams, but star filter style, which he never had really the balls to do. We'll talk about that because <laughs> there were pieces in here where I actually thought the lenses. You have a couple, like you couldn't. What did you shoot the aspect ratio on on that one? Those scenes where you can still see a little bit of the irising going on with some of the lenses. Yeah, I mean it's it's mainly like the two three five two four zero, but because like we started the wide angle starts showing you the yeah, like when we get down to more of like the thirty five mils because we got these things these SLR magic uh, still lenses and you can get an anamorphic adapter for the end of them and they look bitchin', but when you go down to the thirty five, yeah, you get the vignetting and, on the side. And you, but here's the thing: you kept the vignetting. And yeah. I'm like, because I, I see it in a few of our shots where we're using the 35 or the 22, 
Well, and and I'm like, here's, here's but the we're going to zoom in because we're no, shooting no, no. at a height. Here, here's the thing. like with, the, with That works for you, but for this movie, we're making the 80s, 90s thing where what made most of the movies we grew up on look cool is because there's flaws. And this mm. is why Blade Runner 1 looks far superior to Blade Runner 2. It they, just feels they shot They shot yeah. anamorphic, so it's dirtier. Yeah. But also, like those mistakes, they keep them in there. When something's slightly out of focus, they keep it in there. It looks bitchin'. When there's grain in there, they keep it in there. They don't get rid of the grain. Like When you make things too clean, it looks too much like TV. Oh, dude, there's one. And, like, you've got to keep the mistakes in there. Like A lens flare once upon a time was a mistake. And then yes. people were like, oh, shit, that, but that looks cool. Yeah, and now badass. they're everywhere. But it's like the mistakes are what gives your movie character. There's one that back and forth between Talay and Art where there's like grain on the lens. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. And I'm, I'm like, dude, did that, was that driving you crazy in editing? No. But no, you, from what you're telling me now, like, and that's what I, th- I, I was like, why is this not why, why wouldn't he just because we punch shot, in? Because we shot it this... too accurately like the old ones to where it's right. like when there are mistakes, you go with it because that's what made those movies come to life at least for me meanwhile I'm telling Heidi what, she's like why are we shooting 6K and I'm like because if we shoot on the because we don't want that we want it to all look it, we don't we, we, oh, we don't oh, yeah. have the tone it, also if you're if you're trying yeah. to sell this to some sort of network or something absolutely yeah. shoot it as clean and big as you can we just don't have this the movie tone. is meant for VHS somewhere and uh, we're shooting <laughs> a certain it. way I think if we, I think if we got a chance to do Hear the Prophecy I think I would take I think I think we would just fucking have to pow out because I think the F, as I'm watching you the can FP, do it, man. Yeah, as I'm watching the FP, I'm just thinking about like calling my brother and being like, "Hey, Paul." Also, you should do it because I had a fucking because last week I had a rejection on mm-hmm. that, and I'm meeting again tomorrow about, "Hey, where are we taking this thing and that?" But like, it's take, an undertaking. Take it to your backyard and then you go it with Jason. Like this undertaking that you're doing is like, whew, damn. But now I've streamlined it more, and if we talk, I can you know, give you some of the real trade secrets to, like, for FP3 and 4, it's going to be a lot easier now. Oh, there's 4. Mm-hmm. And 3, when are you going to start getting to Google on that? And I think we should segue into how... What, oh, what i got to finish, I gotta finish releasing this movie first. Like, I know. Which, you know, we're going to do the pre-order soon. And then, so uh, talk about that, because Geekscape is in the show notes for this episode. There's a link to where you can pre-order the movie. Like, we just talked about it. Yeah. So the, the pre-order is going to start out small. It's going to have things like, you know, your Blu-ray, your poster, your map of the wastes, you know, things of that nature. That was a tight as hell shot. What, with the, the map? You had the map of the wastes and you had your characters on it moving mm-hmm. and you dissolved from the wide. You shot that on the drone, the, shot, yeah. the drone shot of them running through the wastes and then you dissolved it on top of the map. And you landed right there in the key. You keyed some of that mm-hmm. stuff out and made it to where it looked like they were running over the animated map. Yeah. It was fucking awesome. That was totally just one of those moments where you're sitting there editing for hours and you start getting to that delirious point where you're like just trying stupid shit. And it kind of accidentally happened. I wanted to do something slightly different. And then it happened. I was like, it's perfect. Dude, it was Walk awesome. Yeah. It was awesome. I was like... Okay, how much did he need to then go in and frame fuck the damn thing to make sure uh, it, was, that, it looked that perfect? Stuff, there's actually like probably five minutes of stuff we reshot from the pilot portion, and that was that is some of the stuff because there's some things where I'm like, we need to open this up, we need to get that drone out here, we need our big helicopter shots. Yeah, it looked awesome. And, so props for that. So sorry I keep derailing, but let's talk about that. That's pre-order. fine. So we got the pre-order coming out. It's gonna have your basic things on it. It'll probably evolve. It's gonna be like a two-month-long pre-order, which will end around May, and I'm gonna release this on home video in May. And it's tiered, and it's gonna be tiered. Yeah. And it, I'm doing it in May. I didn't. Everyone's like, why didn't you release it on VOD and theater at the same time? Like, I think that's stupid because why? <laughs> why are you going to gonna go out to the theater? It's hard enough to book these things yourself and get people interest to go to these things. Why am I gonna give you the option to watch it at home on your couch? Who has seen Roma in theater? 
I have not met a certain a single person. Like I see it, and here's yeah. the thing: I haven't seen Roma because, like, it just kind of looks boring. And like, I and I love the I, idea. I, of I haven't see either. It. I really want to see it. Like, that's one of my favorite directors. Dude, I love totally, Man. totally. Like, <laughs> I haven't seen it yet. I and it's right it. there on that TV. <laughs> I want to see it, but I want to see it in theaters to hold me hostage because yeah. I know if I watch it on TV. Every twenty minutes, I'll be checking my phone. Literally, the best way to see this movie, and that's why it's interesting. I always find with like critics to where it's like when you give critics a screener of your movie to you know shit on it, they uh, they watch this movie on a laptop, just sober somewhere, some middle of the day with nobody around them. These movies are definitely like the crowd experience. Like, when's the last time you watched one of your favorite like grindhouse movies from the '80s alone and sober? Like, you're supposed to watch these things. They're community movies. You yell at the screen Mm -hmm. while they're happening. Like, that's why I wanted the theatrical with this. And like, I'm not gonna. I, I'll give you the VOD option for people who can't make it to those, but like if you can make it, that's the best way. Like that's our version of 3D glasses is seeing this drunk with friends. And I didn't have that option watching it by you myself. Will. Well, I don't drink, but when it comes to that, you point, got yeah. the yelling because I was I was just yelling at you. Yeah, <laughs> was, of you, course. You got the equivalent of me watching it socially because I was just texting you and like, hey. But I thought that map shot was tight as hell. I think that I think that I, again, man, I'll stand by the fact that that intro to your character scene is one of my favorite intro to character scenes that I've seen because it was straight out of those '80s movies um, where the where the guys over it and shit like that, and it just did it so well. And you get what I'm saying when I said it back to the future two and three on the whole. Oh, that I mean, mm-hmm. like that was straight up. You have to use your hands. It's a baby's toy. Like I'm getting your references, brother. If you're into this stuff, Geeks Gavis, I welcome you to go. Like, check out the link that we put in the show notes for the pre-order. Let's get uh, go ahead and pre-order the movie. Is there an option on the pre-order? And I don't know how this works with your prior distributor, but is FP one an option for this so that the Geeks Gavis, when they have FP two coming their way? They can already see the. the Sadly not, but I'm pretty sure there's a YouTube link somewhere where you can just watch the movie for free. (laughs) Somebody put that up and it has been put taken down. I'd say you can watch that, or you can pay like the four bucks to watch it on Amazon from them, or there's Blu-rays out there. It's out there. You can see it. But Geekscape is you're definitely going to want to see FP1 before you see FP2. And you're definitely going to want to pre-order FP2. It's interesting. I've, there's a lot of people at yeah. these festivals have been seeing FP2 without seeing FP1. And they've actually really been enjoying it. Really? Yeah, That's which crazy. has been really interesting. I, I, I guess in like that scene between you and Art and the scene I just talked about and the setup, like you get it. Yeah. You get it. You don't need to... All these, movie, all these 80s movies started at that point anyway when they totally. had this deep past where yeah. you know, we'll get into it later. You get it. And, yeah. th- and there's enough montage. And then throughout the movie, there's enough you know, throwbacks. Some of the characters in the first one are like, hey, man, there's enough. You have some shots. You do a pretty good job of being like a previously on. You have that little sequence you threw in there oh, yeah. of like a previously on. It, that wasn't reshot footage, though. That was shot footage from the first movie. You had access to that stuff? Yeah. Cool. They weren't like, hey, wait a minute. Well, they haven't said anything yet. <laughs> <laughs> remember, remember, Geekscapers, it's easier to ask for forgiveness than permission. <laughs> and here's the thing. They're, you're, you're, this tour that you've been on mm-hmm. is at their theaters. Draft House with, with is half a of, Like half of them. Oh, I've yeah. done every... Because that was bitching because distributors didn't know what... Like, the distribution game has changed so much between the first one and now to where it's just basically like, if you don't have Nicolas Cage in your movie, you're not really getting a deal. Yeah, because, that Mandy thing? Yeah, but also it's like, you can do it yourself, though. That's the... Catch twenty two. What's going on now? Sure. So, they uh, it was Tim and uh, James Shapiro at uh, Draft House. They we sat down. I hadn't seen them for a while. And when I was there, and we're like, well, you know, we can just play this in some theaters. During if you want. Fantastic Fest. Yeah. And they distributed the first movie on. Blu-ray yeah. And they're like, we can just play it in some of the theaters, and we'll split the profits with you. And I was like, really? That's that's an option. It's like, yeah, cool. Send us a DCP. Wait, that's it. 
do I have to send you a hard drive? Like, no, just Dropbox. That's where we're at now. Like, <laughs> I just send you a link, and my it's movie's distributed. It's awesome. It's so easy. It's crazy. And like with these, and then I, I went around with the help of my fan page and like found different theaters. Like I talked to my fans on my Facebook page, and I was like, if there's a theater you want to see this movie at, hit them up. And if they're interested, send their info my way. Yeah. And we booked like ten or fifteen extra theaters doing that around the country, just from fans being like, hey, we want to see it. How many draft houses did Tim? Plug the movie in so I think far. it was like 10 so far. Okay, so you there have might be more close to point. 30 movies are just playing this thing. Yeah. Which, when and then get, that doesn't count the, like yeah. the worldwide stuff and like, you know, little screens here and there, international ones and film festivals. And so it's like, but all said and done, like we had just as big as a release of the first one. It's just different. That's crazy, dude. That is insane how it's and, changed. And I am the entirety of the distribution team right here guys yeah. so this is the this is the headquarters this is the headquarters right? you're, you you're here right now off. you wrote this shit off on your taxes right oh yeah big time <laughs> you write your rent off yeah, your yeah. taxes this is your office bro it is uh, and dog food too because that's your assistant mm-hmm. um, security system damn Jason it's good talking to you about this stuff man because like you too it, man it just it gets me rocking and I was super inspired watching this movie and at Geekscape I hope you support um, Jason on this one because this is where art's happening Geekscapist and maybe you're not a fan of this maybe you're like oh I love Roma and Roma's art to me yes Roma's art to you and Spielberg did come out and suggest that we don't put Netflix movies in the Oscars which is a little you know what? get off my lawn that's but, just definitely a r- elitist rich old dude talk but well it's like the, the, clearly from the Oscars and I'm not a fan of the Oscars but that's where the diversity was happening was at this level for a lot of people um, and I think that's something that has to be supported Especially, I mean, like, they got to take the bricks out of the walls. We, we don't need a stuff. crusty old white billionaire telling us what is and isn't art right. at this point. Right. He was great. I loved him, grew up on him, yada, yada. But I, I think he's, he's not really the voice of the people at this point. No, no. But um, shit, I'll still see his movies. I thought, I thought that spy one was awesome. Bridge of Spies? I didn't see it. I thought it was... Dude, talk about using a wide angle in yeah. a sick way. I, I barely see the Spielberg movies anymore. I didn't yeah. see Ready Player One. I need, still need to watch that. That was that. fun. Yeah. That was fun, but... Um, i get to it. But that Bridge of Spies is... What a great use of a fucking wide That's good lens. to hear. I don't remember the last time I saw a movie that I was like, fuck yeah, Spielberg. <laughs> <laughs> I got pumped for Ready Player One, but I didn't read the book. And I didn't either. Geekscapists were yelling at me like, oh, it's not as good as the book and this and that. But I'm like, okay, like I just enjoyed the movie. I punked out some money. I saw a movie. I enjoyed it. Read it off my I Actually, I specifically didn't read the book because I knew if I read the book, I would hate the movie. I, just from I, everything I heard. I felt like I would hate the book. <laughs> yeah, I, I did it too. Like, it was like, reference, reference, reference. Well, reference. It's, pop, it's pop culture like nostalgia vomit. And you know, I know everyone's like, "Oh, you're one to talk," but my my argument is that with my movies, I like making something that's like a lost movie from the '80s that you never saw, not one that references it directly. Sure. Like, check out my 1986 Reeboks. Hey, yeah. look at my 1994 GunCon with time well, prices. Member con. berries. Yeah, like this member berry nostalgia vomit shit. Like that, it's hard for me to swallow. I used to like it more, but now it's everywhere and it's hard. Like, yeah, no, we it, you, you can't. You can't do that stuff. Again, we're just a bunch of angry it, well, nerds no, saying get off our no, lawn, no, too, right? It just comes off as insincere. <laughs> yeah. And it's not story. It's it's not story. It's a, it's like, If it supports the story, great. Yeah. You're totally right. Um, all right, Geekscapist, you got your mission. You're going to go and click this link, and you're going to go pre-order the movie. You're going to tell your friends about Geekscapist. And then talking about Ready Player One, uh, the author of Ready Player One wrote the foreword for our friend Blake Harris's book. That was the last episode about his book, The History of the Future, all about Oculus. And if you haven't read Blake's book, um, Console Wars, about Sega versus Nintendo in the late 80s, early 90s, it's fascinating. Oh, dude. And Real talk. It was awesome. Uh, awesome book. 
And I guess it's going to be a legendary series from Seth Rogen now. But we'll see if that comes together because they were going to make a movie too. Um, and it just hasn't happened. But this that that is a that is a big that is a big budget. We are going to talk about this indie budget, and I like having people like Jason on because this is where the real shit happens. This is where the the unique voices come out, and I think it is up to us to support those voices. Um, so tell your friends about this episode. Definitely tell your friends about the FP one and two uh, because FP three and four. He's hinted at it, and you can help make it happen. This will directly help that. It's yeah. fact. Yeah. So you guys, you guys got your mission, okay, Geekscapist. Uh, you can follow Jason online at where you want to throw it. Uh, I've got my my Facebook is generally the best one, which is just you know I think it's just Jason or Facebook slash the JTRO or just Jason Trost. Just search it and you'll find me on Facebook, or you know at the JTRO on Twitter. Okay. Or cool. Instagram. I got one of those too. Just I'm out there. It's pretty easy to find me. There's not many people with an eye patch with Jason Tross <laughs> as their name, so you're probably gonna have a pretty good shot at finding me. Uh, Geekscape is in order to find us. Geekscape.net. We're on a road to Comic Con now, and um, you can find us at Geekscape.net on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, uh, Instagram, all that stuff. Just search for Geekscape. Become our friend, and uh, tell your friends about it. I am gonna try and get more consistent with these episodes, but uh, I know that I'm filming for a few weeks more on another project so things are going to get busy and I love you because I want to bring you along for the ride and it all helps Geekscape it's all Geekscape okay and those horror movie night kids are working on their own thing over there at Matt Kelly and company maybe they're working on a secret project that you guys will see from the other end of the country over on the east coast coming at you so Geekscape is now a multi-headed monster that is making multiple things and I'm excited about all of it alright Geekscapers I love you Subscribe, tell your friends, over and out. You're listening to the Geekscape Network.